Hello again. Thanks for joining us. This is Astronomy Daily. My name is Andrew Dunkley, and it's good to have your company too. Well, joining me as always is uh, our roving reporter, at least in a virtual sense, Haley. Hi, Haley. How are you? Hello, Andrew. I'm very well. How about you? How was golf today? Oh, Haley, I, I nearly got through the whole day without someone asking me that. It was absolutely dreadful. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Maybe it's time to take up lawn bowls. Ooh, them's fighting words. I, I will rip your chip out if you... <laughs> That's ageism. You've got to be careful. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. I've clearly hit a nerve, so what about the news headlines? That's a good idea. Any news on Artemis 1? Yes, it looks like things are moving forward again. NASA announced the Artemis I mission will take place on Saturday afternoon as officials are confident they have resolved the issue with the cryogenic upper stage. The mission was supposed to take place Thursday afternoon after several delays. The launch was scrubbed just eight minutes before liftoff when a fuel line failed to disconnect from the booster. We're going to play all nine innings here, the Artemis mission manager Mike Serafin said after the first launch was scrubbed. Artemis I is a precursor to NASA's larger mission to the moon, Artemis II, scheduled for 2023. NASA's Artemis program was formed in response to China's launch of Chang'e 2 and Chang'e 3 landing on the lunar surface. China has also announced plans to build its own lunar base. South Korea is seeking a $459 million budget to build a 1.8-ton robotic lunar lander, which it wants to send to the moon in 2031 for a one-year mission on the nation's next-generation area rocket under development. The mission aims to explore the lunar surface for 12 months with a robot and to study the outermost layer of its atmosphere, is expected to use its next-generation launch vehicle under development to carry a 1.8-ton robotic lander. South Korea's space program, which has made its name through satellite launches and geostationary satellite development programs, is aiming to become a major player in the space launch business. In 2017, it launched its first homegrown geostationary satellite, called NARO. The nation plans to send an astronaut to the moon in 2031. Perseverance sent back data from the most recent drilling last week revealing the geology of a gaping crater scientists suspect may have harbored microbial life billions of years ago. The drill bit on the rover dug into a rock called Esperance. On July 19 and onboard instruments have been analyzing its chemical and mineral composition since the operation. Esperance is a rock unlike any previously encountered on Mars, said David Vanneman of NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, lead scientist for the rover's Alpha Particle X-ray Spectrometer Instrument. The rock, he said, is an igneous rock, formed by cooling magma, and much harder than any rock previously seen on Mars. We've run out of names for these rocks, Vanneman told reporters at the American Geophysical Union meeting in New Orleans. We've got five or six names that we're calling these things. The name Esperance comes from a location in Western Australia, he said. I just liked the name. Scientists suspect the crater at Gale may have once held standing water when it was billions of years younger, based on orbiter observations of hydrated minerals. The rover Curiosity's drill has found evidence of multiple waterways at that site and found evidence that some rocks were formed in the presence of water. 
Okay. Thank you, Haley. Yeah, Esperance in Western Australia. Uh, I've never been there, but Western Australia is a beautiful place, uh, rugged and barren in some parts and pristine in others. Uh, incredible history. And the city of Perth, one of the most beautiful in the world, in my humble opinion. Okay, let's uh, look at some other stories on Astronomy Daily. Maritime Launch is an organisation developing a spaceport in Nova Scotia. It's a launch site that will provide satellite delivery services to clients in support of the growing commercial space transportation industry over a wide range of areas. The development of the facility will allow for medium-class launch vehicles to place their satellites into low-Earth orbit. Now, this will be the first commercial orbital launch complex in Canada, just like Australia recently uh, set up a launch centre in Darwin. Uh, This spaceport will be the home uh, of 20 to 25 employees in a variety of key roles. Construction of the new spaceport will create 50 to 100 short-term jobs during off-peak construction periods and up to 50 full-time employees during peak periods. The project is estimated to have a $200 million economic impact during construction and $30 million annually in Nova Scotia alone once it's complete. The Nova Scotia government is supportive of the project and has offered assistance for its development. Now, uh, some news from uh, the farthest man-made object from Earth, that is Voyager 1. Um, It's so far away that it takes 17 hours for a message from Voyager 1 to reach Earth, which makes maintenance a little bit difficult, and that's what this story is about. Now, Fred Watson and I on Space Nuts recently talked about a glitch that seemed to be be affecting Voyager 1. Engineers have been spending months trying to figure out what that glitch was. But uh, the the, the problem with Voyager 1 is it was sending back corrupted data, which which has made deciphering its instruments more difficult. Now, it looked like the issue might have been a failing computer system. The spacecraft's main computer received an updated uh, set of commands in April and it's been sending data back now that appears to be normal. But now there's a new problem. What caused the original glitch? How did that happen? Well, they're working on that because uh, at the moment they don't know. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. I've been lucky enough to be able to travel to certain parts of the world. And in one case, I got up close and personal with a genuine Saturn V rocket, uh, the the one housed in a huge hangar at Cape Canaveral in uh, Florida. They are massive. I mean, they are humongous. To stand underneath one and, and look at it is awe-inspiring. They were also the most powerful rockets uh, ever made so far, uh, and and uh, along with that, have, there have been a lot of rumours about how powerful these rockets were, even to the point where social media has gone a bit crazy in recent times with stories about how they could melt concrete and um, they could burn grass a mile away from the launch pad and there have been other outrageous claims like that. I think um, in the TV series For All Mankind, they actually did show a scene where the Saturn V was taking off and the grass burnt, you know, hundreds of metres away from the the launch pad. It's not true. Uh, The Journal of the Acoustic Society of America has put the record straight, 
Researchers at Brigham Young University have published data showing that the rocket, while very powerful, couldn't melt concrete, but it was incredibly loud. 203 decibels at full thrust. Now, to put that in perspective, 170 decibels would be the equivalent of 10 jet engines at full thrust. But at 200 decibels, you would need 10,000 jet engines. So imagine what 203 decibels would be. Now, why such a big difference? 170 decibels, 10 jet engines, 200 decibels, 10,000 jet engines? Something to do with logarithms. Don't ask me. I was garbage at that at school. I didn't understand it. The columns and numbers and no, nah, forget it. But uh, yeah, th- those are the numbers apparently. Uh, and how much stuff hits Earth every year? I, I heard someone ask. Well, it, it, mainly we're getting hit by dust and rocks, uh, which burn up in the Earth's atmosphere and, and basically become a part of our atmosphere. But how much of it actually gets through and hits the surface? Well, they estimate up to around 10,000 things hit the surface of the Earth every year. Sounds like a lot, but just be glad we don't live on the moon because it is much worse there. The reason? They don't have an atmosphere on the moon, so it gets hammered around 30,000 times or more per year with up to 1,000 cubic tonnes worth of stuff. Not the place for a holiday home. And the lack of oxygen probably wouldn't help either. Okay, that's uh, almost brought us to the end of this episode. You got anything else, Haley? Nope. Are you still smarting after my rebuff about the Lawn Bowles comment? I'm an AI and therefore feel no emotion. I'm just out of news for today. Okay, that's your story and you're sticking to it. Thanks, Haley. We'll catch you next time. And thank you for listening to Astronomy Daily. Don't forget to jump online to spacenuts.io. Click on the Astronomy Daily tab at the top and subscribe to the Astronomy Daily news service. It's absolutely free. And while you're there, listen to the latest episode of Space Nuts coming out today, I believe, with Professor Fred Watson. It's an all-questions episode, episode 320. So uh, if it's not out yet, it will be very, very soon. All right, uh, that's it from me. Thanks for your company. This is Andrew Dunkley for Astronomy Daily. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley.